It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, Joe and I are on split duty, as happens one week, a month or so. So you'll get a lead story from Joe, and he'll give you some perspective on how to keep the rest of the season fun, even if the Bengals aren't necessarily winning games. Because for Joe and I, and for many of you, it's a lot of fun to watch the game in an evaluation lens, keeping an eye on how the young guys are doing. Or maybe we'll start talking about some college QBs like Tua Tunga Viola, the Alabama quarterback who everyone's tanking for Tua this year, apparently. We're not there yet with the Bengals' only nighttime primetime appearance coming up in Pittsburgh on Monday. And after you hear from Joe, we'll talk to Paul Danner Jr. from The Athletic, currently formerly of the Cincinnati Enquirer. You know him from the Bengals Beat podcast and now hear that podcast growling. I'll get his takes from being on the ground in Cincinnati as a longtime reporter covering the team, and we'll talk about the outlook for the rest of the season. But as he's done a couple times already in this young season, let's take a second and get some perspective from my co-host, Joe Goodberry. Yesterday, the Bengals fell to the Buffalo Bills 21-17 to start the year 0-3. Mathematically, the season may not be over, but at 0-3, your odds are very low. And that is today's Locked on Bengals lead story of the day. I'm Joe Goodberry. Although many predicted this to be a rough start for the Bengals with a new head coach and many pieces injured to start the year, I think starting off 0-3 may be a bit of a shock as they lose two close games to start the year. Now you look around the AFC North and the Browns are also 1-2. They were the preseason picks to win the division. The Ravens fall also this week. They're now 2-1 and one as they played the first good team on the schedule all year in the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, without Ben Roethlisberger, are now 0-3. The Bengals and the Steelers will play this Monday night, and one of them are going to have to get a win. But, point being is this weekend, all the AFC North teams lost. Is this a division that's going to take 9 wins to win the division? Maybe 8? I think the Ravens are a little bit better than that and should be comfortable to get to 10 wins at this point as they sit in 2-1. and one. But, as the Bengals are 0-3... Many fans look at this season as it is already over. If you look at website 538.com, they give the Bengals a 9% chance of still making the playoffs. Last year, the Texans started off 0-3 and still made the playoffs. I would say that's uh, not great odds for the Bengals, but help is on the way in the form of A.J. Green, who may just be a week out. 538 also gives the Bengals a 6% chance of making the playoffs, which is pretty significant when you look at the teams around them, like the Jets, who have less than 1%, Washington Redskins, who have have 3%, and the Denver Broncos have less than 1%. The teams that are around the Bengals right now don't have great odds to win their division at 0-3, but you see Pittsburgh and Cincinnati there at 5 and 6% respectively because this division isn't very strong. And with a win next week, could this team get back into it? Do many fans want this team to get back into it? It seems the conversation has shifted a bit to, well, they're bad. Let's make sure that this team drafts as high as possible. Let's play some of these young players and find out what we have on the depth chart. So I believe that's where the conversation is heading for Bengals fans as you watch the rest of the season play out. Sure, right now, the chances are very low, and they could string together a few wins. They have the Cardinals after the Pittsburgh Steelers, and in two weeks, they could be sitting at 2-3 and three with a fair shot at this division still. But history says it is a long shot. So how do you watch this team? 
How do you continue to, to look at them every Sunday and find enjoyment in watching them? And I believe we turn this over into evaluation mode, which means you're watching for the players, the individual battles, the individual wins, the development, the growth of the young guys, and maybe the young coaching staff as well. And you look for signs that this guy may be a future player you can count on for your team, or maybe he isn't. Maybe he's out of position. Maybe he isn't fitting the scheme very well. And you can start to build uh, an idea of what the Bengals should be going for in the offseason, what the draft should look like, where they need help in free agency. And it's kind of like preseason at that point. Take away the pressure of the wins and losses. If they come, great. If this team climbs back into the playoff race, fantastic. We'll be there for that. But there are other ways to consume Bengals media and game days without worrying about the wins and losses. Now, I do think the Bengals are getting better in the run game. I think Joe Mixon had his best day on the ground, his best day reading and and making the correct reads and the correct adjustments on the fly. He looked explosive. If you look at nextgenstats.com, he had a a run of over 21 miles per hour, which is very fast for Joe Mixon. I thought Billy Price had a decent game at left guard. Maybe some hope there for him if Michael Jordan has to miss another week, or maybe that competition is now open. Point being is there are players on the offensive side that look to have taken another step, Auden Tate being another one of them. Is he now carving out a role as he has clearly surpassed Damian Willis and Alex Erickson as the third receiver on the depth chart right now until A.J. Green returns? When Green returns, what will the rotation be like between Auden Tate and John Ross, who continues to be inconsistent, but the big play threat on the offense? Look, on the defensive side, and Darius Phillips got his first live action of the regular season, and he played very, very well upon review. You also look at the defensive ends. Sam Hubbard has started the year very well. Carl Lawson has been injured. You hope for more from them. Sam Hubbard is currently in a boot right now, and Lawson didn't get to play as he was too injured to get on the field. I think he served as an emergency defensive end. Also, rookie Jermaine Pratt got to play at linebacker for his most extensive duty of the season. It was a mixed bag, but I think there were flashes enough to be excited for his potential. All in all, evaluation season has started already three weeks in. That wasn't the plan, but we're here for it, and you stay with the Lockdown Bengals podcast as we look for the finer points in the game and the player development that'll keep Sundays fun for you. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer that's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we've got a surprise bonus guest today. That's Evan McPhillips from Pro Football Focus. He joins us as he will for many Mondays throughout the season for a PFF grade review. And I'll have Paul Denner on in the next segment. Evan, how's it going? Oh, it's going about as good as it can be, I suppose. The Bengals are 0-3 is what Evan means, and the PFF grades aren't great. I mentioned yesterday in our initial game review that the tackle play was atrocious. I thought the interior offensive line was okay, but now I'm looking at it. It looks like John Miller had a bad game. Trey Hopkins was solid. Billy Price could have been a little bit better, considering our hopes. Yeah, he... He was all right. That's he was thrown into the fire at left guard, ended up playing sixty total snaps. 
pass blocking on 40 of them. He ended up with a 56.6 overall grade, which is not exactly where you'd want it, but it's not as terrible as we've seen some of the grades be this year. Um, it's It seems like the offensive line has been really bad, I understand, but when you start comparing it to the rest of the league, I know it, it sounds hard to believe, but it could be worse. Um, through three weeks so far, the Bengals have a pass block efficiency rank of 18th with an 85.2 mark which, believe it or not, yeah, they're about middle of the pack in terms of pass-blocking efficiency because eight teams have allowed more pressures and six teams have allowed more sacks, too. So as bad as it feels like it has been, it could be worse. Um, you got to try and just – I know it's hard to see the bright side when it's 0-3 and you feel like you're trying to be optimistic, but it's a long season and you want to try and project a little bit of growth for this team – and you do see that Trey Hopkins has been pretty consistent and one of their more consistent guys. And John Miller has been a little up and down, really struggled in pass blocking this this game. He had a 39.1 pass block grade. Uh, it's You just want to see some cohesion and you want to see some average line play. And I think if the Bengals as a whole there can finish 18th at the end of the season in terms of pass block efficiency or pass blocking grade, I think the fans and the media alike would really feel good about that and where the team is at least going forward in terms of there's some cohesion, there's some average play at least, and there's something to build off of going forward. Um, but in terms of grades, yeah, nobody really stood out. Tyler Boyd ended up really turning it on in the second half, but because of that down first half where he kind of came out sleepwalking, he only ended up with a 75.6 grade. And Erickson came in for about seven snaps, ended up with a 77.4, largely because of his nice catch and run there at the end. But there really wasn't anybody who stood out. Mixon looked good when he did touch the ball and was able to get in space, but it didn't feel like that was very often. And overall, it was just a tough day from the offense there outside of a couple, two, maybe one or two drives. What if you included batted passes as an offensive line stat? Because I think a lot of that issue for Andy Dalton this year in particular is because the offensive line, like Trey Hopkins mentioned last week, they're on their heels in pass protection. As soon as those guys Mm -hmm. start to get their hands up, there's no leg drive from this offensive line. Yeah, and you'd like to see – you almost want to say you'd like to see a little more threat from the run game, but it's not even the sense that these guys aren't getting pulled in from the action because they are. You see, um, to start the the first half, he has the – the little play action, 11-yard completion to Boyd that gets tipped at the line by Micah Hyde. Those guys, Hyde and the other linebacker, they get sucked in and all, all the way to the line of scrimmage. But as soon as they see, they do a good job recognizing that the, the running back doesn't have the ball and Andy Dalton's about to pass. And so when they do, they start to pull back at just the perfect second. And it feels like, yeah, some of it is that the ball's not always coming out quick enough. And then eventually they're on their back heels, like you said. And the defensive linemen can kind of just time the ball right when they know they're not going to get pressure. And possibly some of this is on to do with Andy Dalton and trajectory a little bit. Mm -hmm. And because you're looking at it, Dalton has seven batted passes in the season, the number one among quarterbacks, and the next closest is four. So this is something that's plagued him so far through three games. And it's really been an issue because it it seems to keep happening on third downs, third and five or you put yourself in a long third down because you can't get anything on second down to an open receiver because you lose out on an opportunity on these batted passes. So they really need to try and find a solution, whether that is a mix between Dalton, maybe not telegraphing where he wants to throw the ball. Mm -hmm. If a guy's coming across the formation, maybe try and looking these guys off a little bit just to try and do a little bit extra to help get some space so he can get some throwing lanes and get the ball into his receivers and playmakers here. It was a problem for Dalton early in his career. It hadn't been a problem the last few years, and it has certainly come back with a vengeance this year. Run blocking is something we haven't talked very much about. That's something that the entire Bengals offense has struggled with. Again, outside of really Trey Hopkins continues to be a consistent spot there. What about the lack of play action in the first pass, Evan? I mentioned this during the game. I didn't see any play action. They came out in the second half. You mentioned that tip pass that went to Boyd. I felt like Zach Taylor was a little bit lost in the first half and kind of found his rhythm in the second half, started calling plays that maybe the Bills weren't quite ready for, less straight drop back passing, sprinkling in the play action game, and then the run game starts working too. Is play action something that we need to think about as maybe something that will help the run game for the Bengals? 
Absolutely. And I think that's going to keep the defense on their toes. And I think it's going to help the Bengals overall because this is a team who's, if you look at the dropback percentage right now, 28.4% of Andy Dalton's dropbacks have been play action this season so far. To have no play action in the entire first half is just so uncharacteristic that it almost makes you think that maybe Zach Taylor got a little too in his head about something or just diverted from what they wanted to do too much and got away from their identity when really what they are is that playmaking the play action kind of offense that's going to take advantage of these intermediate routes, try and stretch the field, create some space that way for the run game. Because with the way the, like you mentioned, the run blocking has not been good. So you've got to find other ways to try and create this space, stretch this field and challenge this defense. And you're going to do that through the jet motion, through the play action. And so you saw that when they came out, it, it was a tale of two halves there. The first half, they didn't seem to get anything going. They didn't have any play action. It felt like they didn't have any lot of room to work. The first play in the second half, play action pass. Second level defenders get sucked in. You get a nice pass to Boyd. It gets tipped, but it makes it through. Being able to run that quick game, have that play action, it really is a big essential part of the Bengals' offense, and we just didn't see that in the first half. That could be a large reason of why it felt like they were really just lackluster in the first half compared to the second half where it seemed they really came alive and at least had two or three drives where things seemed to click. And they really shot themselves in the foot there in that first half. I want to say in the second quarter that they didn't really have that many plays. It was They had the, what was it, the fumble from John Ross on the first play, their opening drive. And then, of course, next possession after that fumble, you come back Wide receiver screen to the left for three-yard loss. The next play, inside handoff for three yards, you're back to third and ten, then a wide receiver screen on the right for a gain of three punt. That's what you come back with when you need a play. You know, you're you're stuck in there in that second quarter. You're not using play action. You're not yourself. You had a fumble, and you come out, and you need a drive to get some points on the board because there's only six minutes left in the second quarter at this point. And then next thing you know, the next time you touch the ball in the second quarter, you've only gotten four plays off, but it's two minutes left in the quarter, and you've only had two plays all quarter, and that's just not going to cut it. Especially against the Bills, who this season have a reputation, and last season, too, have a reputation for avoiding giving up the big play. A couple noteworthy bits I want to bring up from the passing by direction and passing under pressure. Only three deep shots this entire game. Again, could be a product of the defense the Bills are playing. And the Bills only blitzed Andy Dalton six times. He's only under pressure on about 33% of his dropbacks, a little bit less actually, closer to 25%. And he just wasn't good under pressure, wasn't good with uh, no pressure according to PFF. So not a great day for Andy Dalton, but let's shift gears. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. There were a couple bright spots out there. Andrew Billings has had a fantastic start to the season. He played 50 snaps, which for him is a huge amount of snaps. Really good as a run defender yesterday. Carlos Dunlap. Geno Atkins, I think, until the end of the game, both of those guys are pretty good. But you guys had the Bengals getting 34 total pressures against Josh Allen and the Bills. That's about 50% of the snaps when you go look at it on a per-snap basis, and only one sack. That was really tough. I mean, to generate 26 pressures and only walk away with one – I'm sorry, 26 hurries and seven hits and only walk away with one sack out of 34 total pressures – that's just, I mean, it's a product of Josh Allen being back there. It seemed like he was dancing around, dodging people left and right. And every time the Bengals would be able to get the or get the Bills into a long down and distance situation on third down, Josh Allen pulls out the deep shot on the right sideline to John Brown on the laser. Then all of a sudden they're down, they're about to stall the drive over at the 35 or the 40, and then he gets the completion to Zay Jones down in the deep right part of the field. And he seems to always be pulling off these crazy plays at the last exact right second. So even though there was a lot of pressure, there was an inability to finish from his mobility. And you did see good plays, like you mentioned, Carlos Dunlap, that third and five down the stretch to end up forcing the three, the uh, – I'm sorry, forcing the turnover there on downs so that they had to punt the ball so the Bengals had a chance to even be in the game. That was great pressure there from Carlos Dunlap. It's just, it's tough. Andrew Billings, you love to see that he was out there for 50 snaps and had such a great run defense grade at 79.4 and a 77.9 overall grade. What you don't like to see is that in 21 pass rush opportunities, he had zero pressures. You know he's offering you next to nothing as a pass rusher right now, 
and that's really just capping his value. You really would like to see someone that they can get out there in those nickel situations and try and kick somebody in to help out on those pass rushing situations a little bit. But overall, you can't complain with the people who've been playing really well. Sam Hubbard looked good again. He had seven total tackles and five defensive stops. Ended up with five pressures as well. William Jackson and Jesse Bates both bounce back in coverage, if you want to call it a bounce back game. They both graded out about average, but if you noticed how they were having coverage miscommunications and issues in the first two games, you've got to be happy with seeing at least some consistency and improvement there to at least creeping back up to average, where this is a new team with a new head coach, a new defensive coordinator. There's going to it's gonna take some time for a lot of this to gel. It was not expected, should not have been expected that they were going to come out the gate and Zach Taylor was going to be the new Sean McVay and then Louis Rumo was going to come out and be the next big fan. It just it's not it's not it's not feasible. It's not realistic. So I think tempered expectations are important. There's been two close games and some of them because the Bengals making good plays and some of them because the other teams are just letting the Bengals stay in the game. And unfortunately, the Bengals are not a good team and the coaching just hasn't been able to elevate the talent that they have currently. And you can see that that's starting to become an issue in these close games where they're right there. And if a few things go right for them, then they can pull out a victory. But right now, it's just it's going to be tough sledding for the Bengals trying to get that first win. And it's not going to be any easier playing the Steelers on Monday night coming up. Let's talk for 30 more seconds here about the linebackers a little bit. Nick Vigil misses three more tackles, has an abysmal tackle grade, contributing to one of the reasons the Bengals have the worst tackling grade in the NFL, according to your grades. Jermaine Pratt got out there for 10 snaps. He had one play where he was just blown up, but he <laughs> tackled well uh, on his one opportunity. Is there reason to hope for Jermaine Pratt that we saw in his limited snaps? So Preston Brown actually had his best game of the season, which hasn't been saying much so far, but he ended up with a 69.9 grade, 81.9 tackle grade, which you really like to see with this linebacking core right now. Um, He was okay in coverage, 70.5 grade, two receptions on two targets for 10 yards, nothing really special there. Um, So he was okay. Vigil, like you mentioned, was just, atrocious i mean 30.6 coverage grade 38.8 overall allowed four catches for 49 yards and it's just it's not looking like he's he's struggling to fill the lanes and get into his gaps and maintain those gaps and he's just getting washed out of some of these plays and he's just not quick enough on the trigger and at this point you really got to wonder what what's holding back them from playing jermaine pratt i mean i understand that you might want to let him digest this playbook a little bit but you almost want somebody out there who's just going to play off of instinct and just try and at least get some athleticism on the field to help cover sideline to sideline. Because right now, watching the game again, you notice the Bills did so many sweep plays trying to challenge the Bengals' defense horizontally and make them cover the length of the field. I want to say they had four handoffs to the – no, three wide receiver handoffs before even 14 minutes in the second quarter. They were making a concerted effort to challenge them horizontally, and it really helped to create some inside running lanes for Frank Gore early, later in the game. Teams are going to continue to attack the Bengals there until they prove that they can cover the entire distance of the field, sideline to sideline. Thanks, Evan. You can find Evan at E. McPhil on Twitter. You can also follow at PFF underscore Bengals for some PFF-specific updates to the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'll get him back here Going forward to recap things from the PFF point of view. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And now I'm joined by the Athletics' Paul Daner Jr. Awaiting a second kid, waiting for that next 
the next Vancouver <laughs> vacation. Paul, why do yeah. you like Vancouver so much? Oh, you know what? I, I got to tell you, I love the mix of big city, but also like Stanley Park, I think is one of the great places on this earth. Like just it's, we took my, my wife and I took a vacation up there probably five years ago, pre pre children. when We were young and free and happy and all those things. And, and, did like the, you know, you do like the bikes around the path all the way around the outskirts. And it was one of the coolest things where you saw like four completely different, but all amazing, like scenic views, every turn around the, the park that you took around the outskirts. And I just thought it was just incredible. And the city was, had unbelievable, like food. It was so international, uh, that you got all kinds of different great cuisines and stuff. The, you know the the bridge. I just I just had the best time. I thought it was just a, a unique city. It was a ton of fun. It was an easy drive up from Seattle, and uh, I I just I just think it's a special place, man. I don't know. It's a cool vibe there. And we only talk about it because, of course, I live near Vancouver, as many of the listeners already know. But I, the thing I like about it the most up here is that you've got the ocean and the mountains. You've got literally everything. You you drive about two hours inland, and you're in a desert too. So I'm in a temperate rainforest yeah. where I live. You go two hours inland, there's a nice little weird desert going on. It's just any kind of nature you want, you can get to up here. It's great. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that's just it. I mean, you, you get, I, that's what always amazed me was that you had the mountains and, the, and like unbelievable ocean views, but like just, just gorgeous stuff. And then it, it's really cool. Uh, you know, I, I love the total glass skyline that they have there too where it's like everything is just the like just floor to ceiling glass all these high rises everywhere it just, it just makes it's, everything about it is just super is just super unique uh, and i just not quite been in a city quite like it so i yeah and i i would I'm not, I'm not even like a skier type you know where i know if you're most people i know love vancouver because you could go and, and do all the skiing and Whistler and all that stuff. I mean, which is great. Um, so I've heard. I, I'm not even into that, and you know, but I just thought, um, I just thought it was just a really, a, a really cool spot. I wish, um, I wish there was a, a t- I wish Vancouver would would drop the CFL stuff. I wish we get a real NFL team up there, man. I'd be all about that. I'm that'd sure be, you would too. That'd be really fun for me. Yeah, I was looking at the FC Cincinnati schedule when they went into the MLS to see if they play Vancouver in Vancouver this year, just because I thought, what if there's somebody else from Cincinnati in the area? I'm sure there is. I just don't know them yet. Yeah, you know what? I, it's weird. There is so, there's somebody else who I've heard from who does work in like local Vancouver sports media who has reached out to me a couple times. They have some sort of Cincinnati roots and I wish, I wish I could just pull their name out of the hat right now and, and say it, but uh, cause they've asked me, we've talked about like some of the stuff I've done in coverage and how they were going to try to apply it to what they were doing in Vancouver. And I was like, dude, I, you, I, I might just move up there and do it with you. Like, let's, let's go, <laughs> you know, I'm all, I'm all about it. <laughs> Turns out you can still cover the Bengals up here. I have a little bit less access than you do, obviously, but we're, we're getting it done. So let's talk about the yeah. Bengals a little bit. Let's transition. That's my seamless transition into Bengals talk. Yeah. Were you at Paul Brown Stadium today? I think I heard you ask a question in the press conference. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I was down there. How's that? How's the vibe around the team? Zach Taylor preached that, you know, they're consistent. They're, they're staying on that message of positivity. He says that everyone's bought in. He was really fiery after the game. Guys like Sean Williams say, I'm never going to stop playing for this guy. Were you in the locker room today? Did you get that feel from the guys? Well, so Mondays are weird. Like, uh, it didn't used to be this way, but the the schedule with the way they set Mondays up, they essentially have all their stuff done, and the players let out of the all-team meeting and are dismissed for the day at 2 o'clock, right when the locker room opens to the media. So basically – we walk in, the entire team blows through and leaves. So it's like it's a tidal, a two-minute tidal wave of players, and they all are just on the way out. So essentially, you have to have one, maybe two, if you're lucky, targets that you're trying to talk to. Everybody else, just because they're all coming in, it's the you know the power of numbers. You can't really talk to hardly anybody. So to catch a vibe 
from a two minutes of all you know, 60-whatever players just blowing through the locker room in about two minutes, you can't really um, – I can't really say I have a good vibe for that. I, you know, I know what I've heard and what sort of has been the message. And, I, you know, I, I do sort of believe the, the, the message of buying in and positivity – that you're that you're hearing is sort of their what they're saying. I, I really do feel like this team uh, thinks it's much better um, than the record would indicate, and thinks that they should have should be two and one right now, um, and and that there's still a run in them. Um, I, I think they believe that, and I don't think that it's necessarily untrue. Um, I don't think that's an impossibility at all. Uh, but so I, I I would say yes. But again, if to catch a real feel coming off of Buffalo, um, you know, I don't know. I probably you'll need more time. I don't think we have enough time to, to give a proper analyzation of that today. I think that's fair. They're back at practice on Wednesday and they're off tomorrow, as I understand the Bengal schedule. So maybe we'll find out a little bit more then. Let's talk a little bit about the game then instead, since you didn't get a chance to really talk to the players today. And we all saw the press conference. Zach Taylor preached again his message of positivity. But I think Zach Taylor's finding, you know, he's hitting that learning curve, especially in the first half. They called zero play action passes in that entire first half. And I was floored because this entire offense seems to only really work. And that's an exaggeration, but it seems to work best at the very least when they're using that play action game. In the second half, they come out, start with the play action play. I think that helps the run game get going a little bit. And then they find a little bit of a rhythm. In his press conference, Zach Taylor said, you know what? It's because we couldn't convert a third down. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, you're dropped back passing the whole game. Your tackles can't block anyone. And Andy Dalton, to, in, the, in defense of the offensive line, was only under pressure 12 times, according to PFF. Just talked to Evan McPhillips from from PFF, but the drop back passing game has, hasn't been in sync. Do you think that he's going to find his footing? Cause I thought he was lost in the first half and found his footing in the second half, which is the opposite of what we saw under previous offensive coordinators where the first couple of drives, the scripted stuff would go well. And then the adjustments wouldn't follow. I, I, I definitely think he's finding his footing as a play caller. I mean, I don't think anybody could deny that. And, and I don't, know how realistic it was to think that he was going to come in here, start calling plays for the first time and be Sean McVay. I mean, I don't know that Sean McVay was Sean McVay when in his first year with the Redskins, right? I mean, what uh, that's probably a large thing to ask. And there's a lot on this guy's plate right now and how much time he has to focus on something that he's never done before like this. And I think you can – fall into uh you know being a little bit behind the one thing i do say you know i've been i have been encouraged in their ability to put the puzzle together live and you know i go back to that was the biggest problem you know there were among many in the ken zampedi era but i thought the biggest problem was always came in with a plan always had you know all these different options on the table, but when the bullets started flying, it was time to think on the fly and put the puzzle together uh, on the sideline. It never happened, and it got worse as the game would go along, and particularly at the end of games, never had an answer. I think what we've seen is really I, I, I do think that they, with along with Brian Callahan and that whole offensive staff, do seem to have a pretty good feel for how to figure out what's going on and exploit it, um, but it can't take that long and you can't, you know, I, I give a, I really do take a lot. I mean, we can talk about pressures and all that stuff and, and that's all valuable. Um, they couldn't really drop back. You know, I mean, you can't, if, if, if the bills are going to press and the bills are going to dare you to drop more than one, two and let it go just dare you to because they know Andre Smith can't block Jerry Hughes and, and won't all day, or these guys are going to blow up the middle, then you're going to be in a load of trouble. And it's going to be a lot of trying to get stuff out quick and wondering if you even have time to run play action half the time. So I, I think that there was probably a lot of thoughts, uh, maybe overthinking it in the first half and maybe in the second half, getting back to a little bit of, Hey, let's just do what we, what we do and, and trust that, 
that we can get enough of this blocked up to get the run game going and get everything else flowing off of that. And I think that's kind of what happened. Yeah, I kind of share your sentiments of the overthought because you saw a lot of there was that drive where they went screen left, run on second and 13 screen right. And I'm sitting here pulling my hair out. And I thought the same was true on the defensive side of the ball where I counted at least three times in the first half alone where they rushed less than four. And on none of those plays did Josh Allen fail to complete a pass. And the most noteworthy one is where they they rushed two. Geno misses a sack, and then Andrew Billings is the closest player to Dawson Knox on, I think it was third and 17. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite. That was that was Andrew Billings in coverage, yeah, which was great. I think they even showed that on the TV broadcast uh, on the with an all-22 over the top, and you just saw Billings, like, trying to, like, shake and see what was going on in the in his zone and i'm thinking what is happening here? <laughs> talk about overthinking it like in what world are you like you know what we need to do and, and I'm, you know you you know you have to know that you're gonna end up with a guy when you're only rushing two they're probably gonna have some time back there you don't want andrew billings like parading the underneath routes you know i, I really enjoyed him like trying to chase guys down the sideline I, we need more of that. I, I'd like to see. I want to see him in the like in the cornerback drills and practice now, working on his hip swivels and back pedals. That's what I, that's what I want to see now from next from Andrew Billings. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to ask him to do it, he might as well get the work in, right? Yeah, yeah. He certainly didn't look like he had worked at it, and I don't blame him. No, I mean he's he's an athlete for his size, but he's a three hundred and fifty pound man, right? So what what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing exactly? So we'll hope that the coaching staff can get it together. Like you said, Zach Taylor, first-time head coach. He's calling plays for like the third time in his career. He did it a little bit in Miami, a little bit at UC. He's got some work to do. It looks like they're overthinking a little bit. But for six quarters there, through the entire 49ers game in the first half against the Bills, this felt to fans, to me at least, and I think to some of the other people I saw on Twitter, it felt like 2018. It felt like the same exact stuff that Bengals fans went through in the latter half of the year when the offense was giving up 500 yards a game because the Bills were on pace for it and the Bengals offense was on pace to be on the field for about eight minutes. And then the second half comes and turns it around a little bit and it gives us a little bit of a glimmer of hope. As you said, this coaching staff seems to have the ability to figure it out a little bit on the fly. What are the positive messages? You're pretty good at this, I think, that you would tell Bengals fans listening right now that are looking for something to be positive about, a reason to watch the rest of the season. Well, I, I, think, the, I think there is a posit, positive thing in this. At times, through the first three games, they have done everything you need to do at a, at a pretty high level. In the second half yesterday, they ran the ball pretty effectively. They got Mixon involved really effectively in the second half against Buffalo. They threw the ball really well, uh, you know, yards per attempt, totally whatever metric you want to use, particularly against Seattle when they were forced to. Um, and and Andy has looked good in spots. Not many of them were yesterday, but certainly during the, that second half run prior to that uh, awful throw for the interception – um, you had him looking pretty good. But he, they, they have their passing attack has been good. You know, it was a, a top ten, fifteen type group, um, and that's without AJ Green, who at some point will be back. Um, they have played defense really well at some at certain points. Their defensive line has been looked dominant at points. Um, that is all the pieces that you would hope to have. I mean, their, their special teams has looked really good at times, obviously yesterday with Darius Phillips. Um, so you have all of the elements at times have looked there. And this was going to take time for this whole thing to come together and for them to get, get everything on the right pace, get all the proper players they, that fit what they're trying to, to do in there, figuring out who those guys are as part of the process too. I, I've, I mean, you can go back and track this. I have been saying this forever. It was going to be take a month for everything to get right, and then I was going to start judging this team. The question for any relevancy this year was going to be if they could scrape out a win or so 
in that first month. And uh, now we're at the point where they've blown two opportunities to do so, um, to scrape one of those wins out. They got another, uh, now a much more winnable game in Pittsburgh on their hands. If they can get this thing to three and five by the bye, the schedule sets up for them with all those division home games, Miami, the Jets, all these T Oakland on the back end of the schedule. If the Browns, you know, Lord knows where that thing's headed. You, you have a lot of winnable games, a lot of home games, a lot of A.J. Green being back, a lot of those things on the back end of your schedule. If you can just get this thing to three and five, which would be what? It would be a win against Mason Rudolph, Kyler Murray, and that awful Arizona defense, and what? Beating Gardner Minshew? Uh, you know, that's that's what you're talking about. And and the second half does set up for you. We have not seen them play an AFC North team yet. We have we have not seen what will be those will be the defining games. And the North is well I mean they're they're the uh Ravens are two and one. It, it was we're so early to really be making judgments on this team that I, I don't We've seen enough flashes that you can see things come together. I, I don't think that you should be writing them off completely as totally unwatchable the rest of the year. This is going to take time. I'm interested to see what happens when they do start to get things going and headed in the right direction um, the way they want it to look. And maybe it'll be awful still. Maybe they'll still be overwhelmed. Maybe they'll still blow games. Uh, maybe. I don't know, but I, I don't think you can write it off just yet from what we've seen through three weeks. Yeah, we'll have to wait a little bit longer. I was going to ask you one last question. I was going to ask sure. for your take on Andy Dalton and whether you thought maybe maybe this is it. Because he, he, he has the production. He has the yards and everything for through the first two games especially, but... He's missing throws still. The one downfield to John Ross, that bad throw to Auden Tate to end the game. And this is coming from a person who's obviously critical of Andy Dalton at times, but there were a couple of times when I thought maybe he is good enough. He obviously has one more year on his deal. There's no dead money there. Is there, if they're picking top three, they're looking at a quarterback, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, that that's the problem is, You've got to be in that top three because I, I did I ran I ran those uh, the you know the history of that and I'm sure you guys have looked at it too. Yeah. The history of quarterbacks drafted outside of the top three over the last ten years. I mean, there's I think it was like 26 of them, and I and I would say being generous, I would say there's probably four, maybe five that you would take over Andy Dalton at any point. Even the, the best point that they've been in their career, that that's the odds that you play because with him being sort of a mid-tier type quarterback, uh, if you're going to be taking that kind of risk, you, you probably need to be in the top, or you need to you know believe in a guy like like Daniel Jones was this year, or if you believe in Haskins, uh, you know. But the chances, the percentage chances of those guys working out, if you're back where the Bengals have been picking in that 10-11 period isn't great. Patrick right. Mahomes is generational in that spot. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, nine other teams, you know, I mean, the Bengals fans and understandably are just vomiting over and over again, thinking about that draft. But, um, you know, it's, it, you can't count on that. I think if they're, they're in the top three, absolutely. Of course they are. There's, it would be crazy to think that they would not, uh, particularly because, look, if they're in the top three, they're there because Andy Dalton didn't play great. Then that means that he was not a fit uh, enough. He wasn't good enough. And if, in, a, in, a, in a draft where you might have a couple of guys, two, maybe three, who knows? Joe Burrow? I mean, it, it, who knows what that's going to look like? I, absolutely they're looking. Absolutely if they're in the top three in a season where Dalton was healthy all year, they're picking. Why would it uh, It would seem almost – I'm not going to call it a foregone conclusion because we're too far out, but if they're picking in the top three and Dalton played all year, they only won three, four games with him. Um, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, Miami has 
they're going to have potentially two top five picks depending on the way Pittsburgh season goes. So Miami mm-hmm. most likely is going to get their first choice of quarterback, but maybe if the Bengals were there too, and again, it's early, but Miami looks like the worst team in NFL history so far, especially if you read uh, football outsiders. So the Bengals, however, by pro football focus grades, aren't far, aren't far off of Miami. So that's not necessarily something that bodes well, but Paul, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate the conversation with you and uh, looking forward to reading what you put out next on the athletic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually, I, I'm going against anything I ever do. I'm going to go deeper into the, uh, into the holding call that was wow. and maybe shouldn't have been after talking to a number of different people about it and, uh, and diving through some of the, the numbers of percentage. What percentage? I'll, I'll, I'll drop this out here for you. What percentage? of teams that have a kickoff return for a touchdown in a game, do you think win that game? I looked it up. I went through the last five years um, of teams that returned a kickoff for a touchdown and, and what their what the winning percentage was. What would you guess? 45%. 66% of times the team wow. that returned a kickoff for a touchdown won the game. I went the wrong you know, way with there that. There was 35 35 instances in the last five years, and it was 23 to 12 was the record of the team that had the kick return for a touchdown. Oh no! It's a it's it's a game defining play for it a is. number of different reasons, um, and when it's taken away, it does define the game in many ways. Um, and just that what was what we were told, which I tweeted a bunch of it out today, but what we were told about what the referee told special teams coordinator Darren Simmons was flooring. Was yeah, I heard absolutely that. Flooring. I read that. So, diving further into that and talk to some uh, other uh, people from the official side of things. So that'll be that'll be up tomorrow. Well, that's exciting. What about the holding call that didn't get called on Andrew Brown when he was tackled off of Josh Allen's back? Did you see that one? Yeah, I said that that was the most egregious call. I thought that was the most egregious of all the referee complaints. I'm not a big referee complainer uh, in general because I do think that stuff goes both ways. It does. Um, for the sure. re- officials are generally bad at on um, everywhere um, for both teams, uh, but I, I don't think I've ever seen a guy be holding the quarterback for a sack and just get picked up and tossed down from behind. From behind. And, and, it, and it just never even be in a you – know you know what that was? You know exactly what that was. That was the phone call, conference call, with all the, with the officials that yeah. happened Saturday night telling them not to call holding anymore. Is there any chance on God's green earth that they don't throw that flag in week two? No. None. No. <laughs> it's, it's the, the, you can't even see the yard lines anymore. There's just, there's just yellow covering everything. It comes from every <laughs> angle. Right, but no, because it's okay. Let's stop calling offensive holding. You end up with them pocketing their flag on that one, but apparently not on kickoffs. Yeah, special teams holding still okay. <laughs> Happens most of the time anyway. What yeah. about the fumble? I mean, this is uh, this is really the last thing we'll talk about. It looked to me like Nick Nick Vigil had the ball in his hands before his foot touched out of bounds. Yeah, I don't know. I watched the Al Riveron post his little video uh, oh, okay. about it, saying that it saying that it wasn't uh, it wasn't conclusive. I uh, wasn't clear and obvious. wasn't clear and obvious that he wasn't out of bounds before he had possession of it. It was close. That's yeah. one of those. I, I like. I, I could see go either way. That one. Um, the even the, the the call on Tate before I heard what the referee thought he saw, uh, I could have bought that you could call that one yeah. because there was a there was a there was a hand grasping the jersey a little bit when uh, the guy turned. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the the brown one is the one that to me I just it seems almost um, completely indefensible how that could possibly not be viewed as holding in any way. But you know, calls happen. Uh, this is this is this is the way it goes. You got to overcome them. Don't be a complete trash heap for a half, and exactly. you don't have to worry about this stuff. I thought I thought that tweet you have was great because yes, I have complaints about the officials in that game, and it's the first time all season actually. Three games took me three yeah. games to complain about the officials, but <laughs> the, they they ha- they didn't do anything for the entire first half on offense, and and you cannot blame you cannot blame the officials at that point. You took a half off. You can't blame the officials. You had a chance to be in the game because Buffalo tried to give it back to you. You, you, yeah. you didn't take the chance. 
No, it, it never it never should have been within shouting distance. I mean, Buffalo Buffalo essentially just not taking advantage of opportunities and being kind of sloppy and and start. I thought they started to look ahead to New England at the beginning of the second half, Perhaps, and yeah. that kind of caught, is what what caught up to them a little bit because they felt like they had they were dominating this bad team and sort of I think they left their their foot off the pedal a little bit and got sloppy and all of a sudden the Bengals caught them and when it got serious again what happened. There's Dawson Knox wide open on a busted coverage, and there they go right down the field and score a touchdown. So, um, you know, that's been the problem here. I mean, when it comes time for the playmakers to make plays, the Bengals, when I've been writing this since day one, I wrote this into my prediction story. I've been I've written it a million times. They don't have enough stars. They don't. Yeah. Have, that is winning time is when, is when those guys, the guys with the Pro Bowls and the captain patches on, it's time for them to go win the game. And one, when one of them is on the sideline, has won them a bunch of games, uh, it is a problem. But also, they don't have enough of those guys um, that can go do that, particularly on the defensive side of the ball right now. Um, and that's, I think that's just who they are. Well, next time we talk, Paul, depending on the Bengals' record, we might have to talk about Duke Tobin and the approach to the offseason and the NFL draft. I know we faked everybody out last time, but this time... Thanks for coming on the podcast, Paul. We look forward to talking yeah, to man. you again. Yeah, when, hit me up whenever. I'm, I'm ready. At some point in my life, I would love to do a live podcast with you from Stanley Park. Oh, yeah, that there. would be – that's an idea. We'll do it. I like it. All right, sounds great. All right, that's Paul Danner, and this has been your Locked On Bengals podcast. We went a little bit long today, had a couple of nice guests on for you. Go check out Paul at The Athletic and Evan McPhillips at PFF. Tomorrow we'll be back with the crossover episode. Looking forward to the Steelers game. And maybe the Bengals will get to 1-3. and three. Take one step toward that 3-5 and five Paul talked about. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.